This is Film Tank. Tank, tank, tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You know, we're sitting here like a couple of regular fellas. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at or why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Everybody and welcome in to episode 205 of Film Tank. Alex Diegman here, as per usual, along with Nicholas Cheney. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 205 of Film Tank. Oh. I am Alex Diegman, <laughs> along with my co-host, my guy, Nick Cheney. Wonderful. Um, I guess I'll just let you handle this from here. What do I say next? Ah, yes. The old shenanigans when it's just myself and you. Oh, yes. uh, It is just the two of us on this episode. Tuzan Egan is out of town for the week, so... He's in London. He is not. Hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) might as well be, because he's not here. That's true. So he could be anywhere. So, uh, on this episode, we are going to get in the Halloween mood a little bit. Oh! Yes! And discuss a horror film. Uh, And the film that we're discussing is An American Werewolf in London, Mm -hmm. as I forgot the title there for a second. I was almost about to step in there, but I didn't want to do the same bit twice. I mean, you definitely obviously could have there so the uh an american werewolf in london is a film that was released in 1981 and was directed by john landis who has directed a lot of films uh most notably known for his comedies including uh the blues brothers and then also coming to america and also animal house obviously so he's done a lot of work over the years, but is known for those kind of 70s, 80s comedies. Um, So this one, uh, I wouldn't say is like completely out of his realm. No. But at the same time, this is definitely outside of what people were used to getting from him. Mm -hmm. So this film comes out in 1981 and stars David Naughton as David Kessler and also stars Jenny Augeter as Nurse Alex Price. Hey. Her name is Alex. And that is your name. That is my name. <laughs> because Classic. you keep trying to right, steal right. Toussaint's identity. Well, he's not here, so I had to... Uh... Oh, is he here? No. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, that was a squirrel. <laughs> Damn loud squirrel. Mm. Yeah, they get pretty wily in October. Yeah. Yeah. We 
We know, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. So, this film surrounds two American college students who mm-hmm. go on a walking tour of Britain that are attacked by a werewolf that none of the locals will admit exists. Mm. That seems to not be entirely accurate, but that's okay. Yeah. That's well, like that's like the first let's... four minutes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Certainly say... doesn't give way to where the film ends. Well, no. not ends, but uh, moves towards. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's a setup. Which sometimes that's all premise wants to spoil, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. So... The, um, yes, so I would say that, especially for the 80s, uh, and as someone who is not a hard connoisseur of horror, I would say that this probably does not fall into what was the norm for horror films at that time. Don't know if that is accurate or not, but my gauge would be that this definitely falls somewhat outside the realm. Uh, is definitely more in the horror comedy genre although again with the director and the filmmaker obviously who this came from this is definitely a little outside i mean this looks like something that somebody like sam raimi would have done in the late 90s or early 90s or something like that yeah particularly the gore effects and whatnot Mm -hmm. for sure yeah actually uh david naughton in some of these scenes looked like a young bruce campbell i I thought but just with the shaggy black hair and the kind of wise ass uh, stare at at times so yeah he does have that uh that kind of Interesting attitude about him that that uh, during the entirety of the film, which is interesting. So uh, I don't know who wants to go first, either me or you. It looks like Nick would like to go first, so I will uh, (laughs) let you take the reins. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I have just finished watching this movie just this moment, pretty much. We we went into one room. That is correct. Then we went into this room. Uh, and I had never seen it prior to this sit-down. So this is a real, real fresh uh, reaction. But I would say that it pretty much lived up to what most people say about it, that it is a real, real rollicking good time. Uh, I was surprised, but not shocked, of the comedy that was uh, there. Whenever I hear people say, something is a horror comedy and it was made before scary movie. <laughs> I always kind of assume that it'll be something slightly more subtle where it's not really a comedy. It's just something that is not super dark, mm-hmm. but this does have that kind of John Landis touch of that kind of uh 20 something malaise of just uh, somebody not taking their life very seriously until they're forced to, um, with a lot of quips here and there. And so I very much appreciated that element. Hmm. Um, obviously the creature effects are fantastic and not only hold up, but pretty much go toe to toe with things that we see in modern day horror films, because yeah, it is a trade off. Like sometimes CGI can do things a little more seamlessly, obviously like, we have come, you know, uh, a long way from where we were, but there's something to be said about seeing actual hair split open and uh, see whatever the hell is happening with his spine and and all these various things. Um, it, I think it's closest, um, I don't know, cousin in the horror world just from era and type of effect is pretty much 
it's almost on the level of something like the thing for me. Like, I feel like that's the pinnacle of that era and, you know, what they achieved. But considering that there's, I, I think the only thing that stops this movie from getting up to that kind of level is that there's only one type of effect that they have to go for at any given time. Sure. Besides the score is the transformation. But each of the two times at least that it happened, it, it looks great both times and it's, it's great. Um, I think the, uh, the two actors are actually wonderfully cast. Um, it's always interesting because you have something like the Blues Brothers and uh, Animal House, and you you know you you watch one of those and you can kind of start to pick like where are they now. But neither one of these two actors really went off to have like uh, prolific careers. I know both of them, I believe, acted for sure. But yeah, I think both of them are uh, actually pretty close to being still active right yeah. now. So yeah, I, I mentioned if... to you uh, before we watched this that randomly Griffin Dunn was in uh, one of the first season episodes of Secession as a psychiatrist. They call to their uh, to Connor's uh, Arizona or somewhere home or whatever. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, they're still. They're still going. Paul doing those random character roles. Yeah. yeah. And from this movie, I can kind of see why, like uh, where it all started. And um, I, I love the interplay between the two of them. And I uh, pretty much love the trajectory of this movie. I really thought this was, I feel like when I watched this movie, the first 20 minutes are exactly what I thought it would be. And then everything after that was at a much different pace than I thought it was going to be. It is. Yeah. I definitely did not realize that. It would mostly kind of settle in for that med- uh, for that middle section um, of waiting for the next full moon, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and to watch him kind of stew in that angst and um, kind of processing the trauma that he experiences. And I think that's what's interesting about this as a horror comedy is that there's some dark and very depressing themes that are at play that I don't think the movie dumbs down in any way. I mean. You literally have visions of his best friend, uh, if not vision, but maybe actual ghost, uh, telling him to kill himself for the greater good. And yeah. um, it's not without merit, just based on what we know about uh, werewolf lore and, of course, what we at least get see hinted at in the movie and whatnot. So, How about that... Uh... How about that dream he has when mm. he uh, sees his family being murdered with machine guns and yeah, set on fire and that, everything? There's a, there's a lot going on there. There is, and I thought that was actually pretty great. That's probably <laughs> the one thing in the entire movie that I would never have in a million years uh, thought would have been in it. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's not something you really conjure up when you think of werewolves and uh, that kind of spooky night gothic atmosphere. But mm-hmm. um, I thought that scene was pretty great. It was so weird and yet it was i don't know it just it went quick enough where i never had time to like sit and think about why this would be a dream that he had and i just totally went with it yeah it is such a out of left field moment because the idea of him having these nightmares i feel like is established even before that the idea of that him just having visions or you know even having actual like life impulses when he's not dreaming or sleeping or whatever but you know when that scene starts it seems pretty clear that it's either a flashback or a dream and then it just gets ratcheted up pretty much pronto after the door opens and it just goes from oh there's people with masks to machine guns everyone's on fire Mm -hmm. and 
this all happens in a span of like 25 seconds. Yeah, and in fact, actually what you just touched on brings me to my last point before I uh, pass it off to you for some opening thoughts. But mm-hmm. the, the other standout thing and element in this movie is uh, the editing, I think. Um, there's mm. so many times in which we cut from a shot to another shot in a way that evokes something that's not what you're actually seeing, whether it be uh, the cut to that dream where you definitely, I think, first time viewing myself at least, kind of perceive it to possibly be a flashback that was just dropped in the middle of, you know, this nightmare or whatever, only to be revealed that it's not that at all. Same thing with, um, you know, juxtaposing uh, a werewolf about to jump out with just a lion at the zoo and, you know, all these little tips uh, and kind of ways that uh, Landis just kind of jumbles and uses both sound mixing and um, the... I don't know, just the dicing up of the mise-en-scene here. It's just great, and it's very playful, where it never ceases to be funny when it's scary, and yet it also is never, like, uh, above a good joke, even in a midst of, you know, some of the more terrifying things. Yeah, even early on in this film, uh, because I actually love the first 10, 15 minutes or so when Mm -hmm. the two guys are walking through the English countryside, and they arrive at that uh, marvelous pub where clearly the they're, lamb. yeah, clearly they're not welcome. Uh, and then that uh, jolly Englishman is just telling this really inappropriate joke. Uh, and there's then, some serious Wicker Man vibe, like uh, yeah, original Wicker Man <laughs> for sure, uh, not Nicolas Cage, but with that pub and how the entire town is just fucking there. And not okay with anything about to burst their fucking awful secret bubble. Yeah, that's the other thing that's a little weird about it, and and it uh, I don't want to say it makes the story fall apart, but it certainly is a little suspect of um, why all these people are so. I mean, I guess it just kind of goes along with the. Uh, history of the idea of of these mythological creatures being around and I don't know if like embarrassed is the right word but like they don't think that people will believe them or if they pray to these I mean it's it, there's a lot going on there that makes the uh, the logic of this group of people keeping having to keep this a secret and not wanting to tell anybody and kind of creepily being like stay on the road and avoid the moon it's like what <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know that the werewolf uh, is discriminatory against the road, so... Yeah, which that is just kind of a weird, tropey type thing of just stay on the main road and look out for that moon. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, I don't know. The That, that scene, though, is great. Uh, when the guy is telling the story, delivers the punchline, everyone's having a good laugh, and then... Uh, uh, the one guy's like, so what's that on the wall there? And it, oh, man. So awkward and uncomfortable. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. In fact, every scene in the bar is very awkward and uncomfortable, even when the British doctor goes there, and he also is not welcome, but a little bit less not welcome, but at the same time still like, get out. Yeah, so, I mean, at the very least, he's English, so yeah. uh, I should say, actually, he's British. Uh, uh, as to quote in the loop, never ever fucking call me. English again. Uh, anyway. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, no, I'm done. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I uh, this is the second time I watched this film. Kenny had introduced this to me, I think, three years ago or so. Maybe it was it was around then, and uh, we randomly watched it one afternoon in, in August, like three years ago. Um, and I remember thinking that this was pretty good, uh, and I actually liked it a little bit more this time through as I do really appreciate a lot of the effects that are happening throughout this film and also to the story because uh, what's nice about this film is it seems very reserved, which is a nice, I don't want to say hallmark of that era, but one of the things that really sucks with CGI and also just monster movies in general in you know modern 21st century time is that, like, you'd be seeing that monster for a good 20 to 30 minutes in the movie if that came out now. Yeah. And it would be some terrible CGI, not good-looking version of the character. And it would just be... It would also be in very poor lighting. So that sure. way you, like, even though it'd be on screen, but, like, I, I think that's one of the biggest things that people are really leaning on these days when it comes to bad horror mainstream it's just well we'll just set it at night quote unquote but mm. like even nighttime should have uh non-diegetic lighting unless you're making some kind of art house thing yeah one of the cool things about it is in this film is that it works to the film's strength the idea that obviously they can't have the werewolf on screen for very long because it just wouldn't look right i mean even at the end when we see him moving around the street, it's like it, it's like a millisecond that he's actually on screen because they you can't show him walking because the technology just was not there. Even with puppetry in the early 80s, it just was not you know going to be able to have a really good camera shot of this large puppet moving throughout the street. So it's really small doses of it, which works definitely for the film's favor. Uh, the scene that I always remember, well, I was remembered and I was looking forward to in such a random, just small detail. Uh, but when the one guy is running away from him in the tube station and he's stuck on the escalator and you just like briefly see the werewolf coming on the bottom of the screen and then the camera works its way up the escalator, then you're assuming that he eats or, you know, feasts on uh, the gentleman who's on the escalator. That's such a great scene, mostly because it's just... It's just so small in scope and like it makes it more horrifying that you're not watching this CGI creature walking up and reaching over you like we know what that would look like. Mm -hmm. It's much more horrifying this idea of dreading this creature just sneaking its way into the frame and finding its way up there. So, you know, obviously it's good to have better technology and have, you know films uh it's not necessarily a monster film but have films like the um war of planet of the apes which has absolutely fantastic cgi Mm -hmm. in it but at the same time there really is something to having actual physical puppetry and also just physical characters in this the other thing too about this film uh and I'm, i'm getting a little into details here not about my overall thoughts but his friend actually, and the makeup work on him is actually, I think, even better than the werewolf. Yeah. Um, that first scene in the hospital when like part of his face is just hanging off, mm-hmm. 
like, yeah, you can pretty clearly tell that it's not real, but at the same time, hmm. like, it actually, like, feels really fucking creepy. Yeah. And it, 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 it looks ch- close enough to where it looks like, hey, half of his face is missing. Yeah. Where, where, like, it's pretty good. The thing is, like, the mark of a good effect like that is that, at least in my opinion, that I'm more distracted by the creepy effect as far as, like, the weird kind of gap between one of the hanging pieces and mm-hmm. the, than I am by trying to, like, look for where the seamless uh, or unseamless, uh, you know, mask is, like, around his neck or something like that where I can start. So, it's like, if the effect is just good and creepy, then really, you know, uh, it's on you if you're looking that hard to to not be, I don't know, to... To just not soak it in. Yeah. You know. Well, and the second time he appears when he's, you know, green and uh, he's clearly decayed in a way, I thought that looked really good, too. I mean, I thought the makeup work on uh, the actor in that scene was actually really good and complemented the lighting in the dark room really well. Uh, And then we have the ridiculousness in the porn theater at the end where... I mean, it's pretty much just an animatronic yeah, at that but point. Yeah, I but like that. Yeah. I mean, it it was a nice kind of. It wouldn't really have been throwback, considering it's kind of from that era. But it, you know, it reminds you of those kind of EC comics of like Creep Show and Tales from the Crypt with these kind of, you know, just skeletal beings that were just propped up and uh, and for it to happen in a porno theater, like it, I just kind of thought that was like schlock meets schlock, and I, mm. I thought that was pretty great. Yeah. So overall, though, I uh, I thought this film was pretty good. I really enjoy the first opening part of this film, the first act of it. Um, once we go into David in the hospital and then David in his relationship with Alex, it's not that it's bad at all because I am quite enjoying it and it does lead up to a really solid payoff towards the end. But at the same time, uh, there are some parts during those scenes that do feel a little boring to me. Um, and, you know, I I enjoy some parts of them and some of them I probably could deal without uh, or deal with some sort of different uh, story arc in that part of the uh, progression of the actual film. But I really did enjoy pretty much from start to finish the entirety of this film. Um, and it makes the ending that much better when you do have just the kind of mundane actions that are happening throughout the second act of this film. I mean, the we talked about the scene where he's dreaming, uh, where you know the machine-gunned, masked people are just completely killing his family and burning the house down and all that. But I had forgotten how absolutely ridiculous the final scene outside of the porno theater gets. When yeah. there's a good, like, 40 seconds of just crazy shit happening left and right, and, like, cars crashing into other cars and bodies flying out the windshields, mm-hmm. and, like, it's legit, People too. People being like, smashed by cars. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Or falling out of windows and getting hit by another car. or People getting... being ran over. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's uh, literally the cataclysm for that is the beheading of the inspector so yeah literally who, for... who's you know the usual kind of not believing any of this and saying it's all ridiculous and the usual shit that you can get in these kind of movies but um yeah that was um pretty solid i no, i agree i was not i guess i should have been expecting it because it's not like the movie was playing coy with the gore or whatever but mm-hmm. just how concentrated that sequence is to 
that level of carnage and chaos was uh, definitely a delightful high for the movie to reach right before it kind of has a come down with uh, ending on a pretty emotional uh, beat. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious, uh, what do you think about that cut to credits? Because it's kind of interesting to me, at least, that, um, you know, we get that final scene in the alley where she says, I love you, back to him, because he had said it earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and as a werewolf, he seems to have an actual calm uh, recognition of who she is and at least... Moment, momentarily. Yeah, momentarily, and, mm -hmm. and of course, of the words that she just spoke. And then he lunges at the police, he's shot, and then, um, you know, she mourns him, whatever. And then it just cuts to, very abruptly, to a very kind of rockin' version of Blue Moon. And um, I thought that was slightly, that was one of the first time, not the first time, but that was one of the maybe few times in the movie where I thought maybe something was being played for laughs that didn't quite work. And I don't know that it was played for laughs, so to speak. But um, I feel like it just earned that alley scene so much that that cut was a little jarring in a way that I don't, I don't know, I just, it, uh, I'm just curious, did you at all feel that that was a weird tonal shift, or did you just think it was a nice capper to uh, a schlocky kind of horror film? Because I could see it either way. No, I thought it was definitely a bit weird. <laughs> um, certainly seems like something that somebody would do if they like had just seen a Lars von Trier film well, and, and, that's and, and like, they're like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I don't have the story for it, but I'm going to do that. I was going to say, and it's like you watch something like that, like the, the the house that Jack built or whatever, but that punchline is supposed to be there. Sure. Hate it or love it, you know what I mean? Whereas this just felt like, uh, oh, you know what, we'll just cut back to Blue Monday, or Blue Monday, Blue Moon, uh, and... Um, uh, albeit a, because that's the interesting thing, right? This movie opens with a, a version of Blue Moon that's the more traditional melancholy Blue Moon, you know, and it's before they've been transfer, uh, transformed into the werewolf and mm -hmm. um, while they're still on their trip, so in a way they're kind of still young and naive in that sense, uh, but then the rockin' Blue Moon comes after the ultimate tragedy, which is that neither one of these boys make it uh, through their trip, and not only that, but uh, you see a, a man's last uh, last grasp on his own humanity right before his life is taken. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think I might grow to like that kind of total jump, but I definitely wasn't expecting it. And therefore, because um, it's literally one of the last things I've seen now, uh, just from stepping into do this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very fresh in my mind. Yeah, and uh, I don't necessarily think it's fresh in a good way. I'm pretty much on the same page that you are, I think, yeah. is that that kind of almost jump right into that ending with the credits seems Felt like unaware. an Animal House gag that, you know, like, you know, you, you earned this whole movie, though, and you, there's some great comedy throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't quite need to uh, make sure you you left them laughing left, left them yeah, laughing, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, and and that totally makes sense because it, it you know to, I think any person who's just a normal film viewer watching this, it would seem to be out of left field to just go off with that. Um, but I'm guessing there was some reason why he did that. No, no, I mean, it's not a total 
gaff or anything like that. Yeah. It's just uh, just one of those things where um, it's yeah. So everything uh, involving uh, the doctor and also the nurse, obviously at the hospital, is the doctor uh, sort of has uh, I. Uh, it's not the exact same kind of thing, but he's kind of the exact same character that we see a lot in horror films mm-hmm. where he's starts off not believing and then kind of eventually comes around to the idea of what's happening. He's here. a man of science. So it's kind of like at first that's not scientifically possible because he's never seen it before. But then empirical evidence will start to actually persuade him, uh, you know, I think. Well, and the idea of even towards the end of the film when he's talking with Alex in the hospital and he's kind of explaining everything to her of what he thinks is going on and what he's just seen in the country earlier in the day. He's, you know, saying, I'm pretty sure it's a werewolf. She's like, well, certainly it's not a werewolf. And he's just like, well, you know, it's not exactly like that, but blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it's kind of, he's, he's kind of playing this very interesting character that again, kind of, Make he like he reminds me of Loomis in Halloween, a little bit. Yeah. Not, obviously, not the exact same as as that character has a different arc, but at the same time, still this person who needs to be convinced of what is going on, uh, much the same way as probably you know, I guess somebody in the audience needs to be. But I think maybe that also too is a little bit of a disconnect between what we would normally see in this era of film or horror just in general of of there's a lot like everything in this film is completely should be taken on face value i think like there's nothing happening here that's like you're not sure where i i feel like if this was filmed now or released now it would be ambiguous if he was a werewolf or not until mm-hmm. later on in the film. Like, you would not see the opening scene. Like, it would be up to the audience to interpret if he is where you're seeing a movie called An American Werewolf in London. So, fucking, of course he's a werewolf. So so specific, even down to the nationality of the werewolf. Yeah. 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 There was actually, it's not a direct sequel, but there was a film made in the 90s called An American Werewolf in Paris, Uh. uh, which is a really bad reboot of this series. And then I think there is, if I was reading right earlier today, a plan for a remake. That I've always heard about. Yeah. Which I think would just be awful. Yeah. uh, Mostly because it would not be able to just have the same spirit of its original, much like, even though I haven't sat down and watched it, uh, the Point Break remake from a few years ago, which, from what I had read, is just not anything like the original and is just kind of a regular run-of-the-mill action film, which is in no way what makes the original great. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see if that ever happens, and if it does, I'm sure it probably won't be that great. But... I was going to be asking you, I kind of went off on a little bit of a uh, tangent there. Yeah, you did. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the hospital scenes and the character of the doctor and the nurse, obviously there's a lot with Alex the nurse because she ends up wanting to take him home and is uh, playing. Uh, Can I say I've been in and out of hospitals all my life? Mm-hmm. And I... 
never had a nurse uh, that I've connected with the way mm. that uh, David connects with this yes. nurse. And, you know, I just maybe that's what's wrong with our healthcare system in America. Well, I mean, the you movies know. are fake. Her character does have a very interesting beginning to the film because other than just being the nurse, having a really weird comment about him being Jewish, uh, and then going into the children's ward and getting slapped on the bum by one of the kids. Kids do the darndest things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say at least this film was a different time. So no. I guess yeah. Um, people would have obviously found that behavior pretty hilarious, I'm sure. Yeah, in I the mean, early 1980s. this sounds bad, but it's also a kid, so yeah. k- kids do do stupid things without understanding what they do. So do adults, but that's when it's not uh, cute in a in a manner of speaking, so to speak. So even that didn't really, I would say, age that poorly or anything no, like that. No, uh, it's, it's not. I just feel like it's something that <laughs> oh, we yeah. wouldn't be seeing in a film. No, I was going to say, it's just, that certainly would have been probably just not even included. Uh, no. I feel, yeah, no, for sure. No, but I'm guessing at the time that this film came out, no one batted an eye at that. Mm-hmm. Which I thought, ah, how, how boys will be boys. Yeah. No one batted an eye, but everyone did. Bust a gut. Bust a what? A gut. Cause it's a gut buster. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So your thoughts um, <laughs> on the doctor and also the nurse character. Yeah. No, so I specifically I'll talk about the nurse character. The doctor you pretty much summed up, and I don't think is all that, like, you know, just extra. He's kind else. of doing this he's a, really. Yeah, I mean, he's important. You need to have that character. Really Sherlock Holmes wannabe investigation throughout the film. And, of course, discovers it at the moment uh, when it becomes apparent that his discovery will make no difference. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but the nurse, uh, Alex, played by uh, Jenny, right? Agator? Yes. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know Jenny what? Actually, Jenna, but Jenna, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think she was uh, quite good, actually. You're right. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I feel like th- this could have been a very thankless role because it's certainly a very kind of uh, male wet dream of a fantasy. You know, I mean, literally, he's a tourist and, you know, a fr- <laughs> foreign country and he gets to go bed a nurse i mean like on paper that just sounds pretty awful in my opinion <laughs> but i think she actually gives the character a lot of uh, depth and humanity in her performance and um is really able to kind of come up with some pretty i don't know striking moments of humility like i kind of like when um they're kind of doing that foreplay when she's giving him the uh, tour of the house or the apartment when she first lets him in and i'm sorry the flat and mm-hmm. uh um, by the time they get to the bedroom, I kind of like that she starts to re- uh, reel off her like past sexual history, and I don't think he's even that particularly interested in a you know like usually like um, in a stereotypical way that could have went in a much different direction if he was like a piece of shit. Um, but I think she, you know, I think she's been in that situation before, like she had said, um, and just didn't really want to. Go into something without putting cards on the table and uh, what I think. Yeah, I mean, that whole scene and the way that everything escalates with their relationship is definitely pretty male gazy. Okay, yeah, I, that is for sure. I would say, but it, I would say the male gaze. Uh, okay, well, yeah, that is 
extremely prominent. Uh, mm-hmm. But the problem is that male gaze is pretty much prominent in most cinematic, sure, in, in cinema in general. But just just the idea of but a for sure. woman being like, I've always wanted an American who was a patient of mine to bring home and yeah, no, get I in mean, the shower with me. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, no, I mean then that's. But you know, but if I mean it's Van Morrison, like wouldn't that get you in the shower? I, it's just. Oh man! Sure, it's one of my all-time favorite songs, actually. Movie oh, games. okay. Yeah. Um, well, you have to think about it next time you're in the shower. So that's great. <laughs> we're getting getting dangerously close to boss territory here. <laughs> so that's something. I <laughs> Hopefully, Tucson listens to this episode. Hopefully, he listens to every episode because yeah. we are going to quiz him. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, no, I mean it's it's extremely male gazy for sure. Um, I, I would say that said, with that premise and the logline of the relationship working against them <laughs> as characters, I think she does a good job. And um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of I like it because I think for the first time in her life, she's only looking for a fling, which is a valid uh, sure. thing uh, for a man or a woman. And then it kind of obviously sneaks up on her by the end of it and albeit too late uh that maybe there was a real connection there and um and not to mention this is a movie in which a the female lives uh completely and the man is shot down and whatnot so you know it, it's got one up on the slashers of the kinds that were coming out right when this movie was uh being released so yeah there's something that's certainly not i would say progressive but there's something that about this that i think is kind of timeless in a way that it doesn't really show uh i don't know gender politics at its worst uh um, era representation i was gonna say era representation is definitely and the other thing too if you're comparing this with other john landis films oh yeah uh if you want to look at something like animal house Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, you literally see that it's the same guy who made both of these, but certainly he was not as, uh, prepubescent in this genre. No, I mean, I, other than the sudsy backs, um, in the shower, like that whole, like, oh yeah, that, that was interesting. Uh, yeah. Although there is something of this film is definitely, especially for, you know, when this was released 38 years ago, yeah. uh, there is definitely something going on of trying to show him, well, not like going over the top, like the idea of him, like having these tendencies of oh, yeah. a wolf going throughout and like, just like the, like his hands moving on her oh, back, yeah. like. And well, but, not to mention also too, it, this movie is body horror. So mm-hmm. you, the only way body horror works is if you see the body in other uh, activities and/or just states of being yeah. that contrasts with something that looks, uh, you know, like awful and hideous and whatnot. So, if anything, this is one of the few times when uh, nudity or whatever kind of works in its favor. Yeah, and you do have a pretty, I would say, pretty good sex scene uh, in terms of. It's not, like, over the top. Like, it shows them having this, you know, kind of foreplay, as you mentioned, as they're walking through the house. And then the actual, you know, sex is happening. And it's it's not, like, just... 
Thanks for thanks for just just taking the words out of my mouth. You're what welcome. was it? That's perfect. So yeah, it uh, actually is uh, reserved, but also at the same time is delivering its message. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, especially you brought up Animal House, and there's nothing about I would say the sex scene that screams like Mandy Pepperidge or something of where. <laughs> You know, it's just like, oh, I'm going to, even though you're standing two feet away from me, I'm going to remove my bra while you watch, and then let's start having sex or something, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, yeah, I... Uh, so what did you, um, yeah. the tra- the big transformation scene, you had mentioned that you thought it was pretty fantastic, mm-hmm. um, but obviously you probably knew that there was a scene like that, even if you hadn't necessarily yeah. seen the whole of its entirety. Certainly. So in terms of not necessarily your expectations on what that scene was going to be, but also what do you think that, like, do you think that scene was both really good, which I know you already said you did, but do you think that that is worthy of the like lore that it yeah. has because that is the one part of this film that almost everybody knows about yeah, even if they've never never it. seen it or don't care to see it absolutely no i mean that scene in and of itself has been embedded i think into not just horror discourse but also pop culture at large mm-hmm. um to kind of give context, uh, while I have never seen this, I've certainly seen properties that were clearly inspired by it. When I was growing up, one of my favorite movies was the Teen Wolf movie with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> so, you know, you have a movie like that that's, oh, huh, 10 years, no, not 10 years, I think that came out in the 80s, but it came out after um, this movie did. And I also used to watch... Um, I think it was called Wolfman on Campus, a TV show <laughs> that was on like ABC Family or something like that. Oh boy! But yeah, no, and it, it so you know I've seen these kind of things, or even uh, Seth Green's character uh, Oz on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who turns into a werewolf. Uh, I've seen all these pop culture pieces that uh, are not, in my opinion, just werewolf stories, but clearly descendants in the lineage of that goes back to John Landis's take on it. Um, and so it is kind of like the Casablanca of werewolf stories, which is not to say that it came first, like, because obviously that, you know, the Bella Lugosi and whatnot, uh, the Universal monsters did. But I, when I saw this transformation scene, like, I know I've seen this scene in other movies before and, mm-hmm. like, people watching it, uh, you know, within that whatever movie that I can't think of right now, but so, like, I've seen this before, um, and yet watching it for the first time start to finish and actually seeing it in the context of the film and getting to see the entire scene play out uninterrupted uh, certainly still holds up and lives up to what it was. Uh, the, um, you know, it's funny, the pacing of it is kind of weird because it feels like it goes on pretty long. Like, you always think of, like, a, you know, the werewolf transition to be something that should really probably only last, like, 10 seconds or so. Mm-hmm. But, but because I think that they were so proud of their special effects, which they should be, they're like, okay, now we're going to do the ankles. <laughs> and, okay, all right, now after these 10 seconds, we're going to do the, just the spinal column and whatnot. I'm so on and so forth. And, but I think it works because then each moment it's kind of like it just it doesn't cease to be creepy and it just gets worse and worse. And it, and then it also truly does, I think, um, amp up the kind of tension that comes from the idea that he's really in, like being imprisoned into mm. this form. And it's not just something that like 
is good. Like, oh, you know, it's 10 seconds, it's over, and then he gets to be a fucking wolf. You know, like, what's he crying about? It's like, this is a slow death, both figuratively and literally. So, Yes, and also, um, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that they were just trying to show you these different single images because, again, with the way that special effects were in the early 80s, uh, you can't just have a man turn into a werewolf on screen and uh, it's got to be slow. It's got to just show one spot at a time. And you're really not seeing much of a transformation happening, even if you see the like face expand, which is one of my favorite parts of the entire film. Um, but you're just seeing a lot of these small things happen that appear to be large transformations because of the way that your mind is putting them together. But ultimately it, it works so fantastically throughout the entire scene. And then, well, and it's, Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to end by saying it, uh, you know, you see exactly what you wanted to see with that, which is this man transforming into a werewolf. But, um, in that time period and the way that it was presented on screen, I mean, this is the, First film to ever win the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects because mm-hmm. it should have because yeah. and I already mentioned that I thought a lot of the makeup work in a lot of other parts of the film was even better. I don't know about the transformation, but about Ben and the Werewolf. Uh but that, that scene is is really second to none. Absolutely. And um earlier when I mentioned uh the editing in this movie, I think the transformation scene is certainly uh, a good example of what the movie is doing, which is kind of, um, I would say, uh, it's a movie influenced by the likes of uh, horror icon Alfred Hitchcock. You know, you take a look at, like, Psycho, and you take a look at the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock sh- couldn't necessarily show what he wanted to show on screen due to content and mm-hmm. whatnot, you know, but the way he edits that, you see the same events play out almost from different angles, and you see certain things that probably are happening simultaneously, but due to the the nature of film editing, you're going to see them sequentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And that scene still completely works because of the way it's uh, shot and the way it's edited. And the same thing kind of happens with this transformation scene, where um, while we know in our head, like the logical part of our brain would tell us that, like, okay, this probably is meant not to be taken literally in the sense that, like, this close-up shot should be probably taking place at the same time as the other close-up shot. Mm-hmm. But it's so engrossing, and it's so nicely edited that we don't uh, ever, uh, I would say, there's no real gaps for us to then fall through and start pulling on that thread because it, it just flows so nicely. So, um, yeah, no, I think it has more in common with a lot of... Uh, horror films than just the universal monster movies and whatnot. I would agree. Uh, interesting comparison to Psycho as well, the uh, the original, not the uh, Vince Vaughn one. Uh, mostly because that scene, which is definitely the most iconic scene in any horror film, I would say, and yeah. probably one of the most iconic scenes in any film. Mm-hmm. It's at least in like the top 20, probably, I would oh, say. Yeah. Uh, there are a few scenes, I think, in any movie that you could say genuinely changed the course of cinema. Yeah. Of, like, what you could do and what you were allowed to do. Yeah. But that scene with the sound effects, uh, the use of black and white so you could show the blood without showing mm-hmm. blood, 
um, and just the mind putting images together from what you're seeing on yep. screen with just like the knife going forward. It's never piercing the skin, but you yeah. see just a knife going forward. Uh, you see the screaming in the shower and the look of terror um, on why am I Janet Lee's face. Janet yeah. Lee's face. Uh, and then just the the sound of the knife going into the watermelon that uh, yeah. is supposed to be a person. Uh, it is, especially, I'm sure, then, seeing out of the theater is just like, Bleh! Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, though, is sound mixing in mm-hmm. this film. Uh, that transformation scene would probably be nothing without those ridiculously creepy like foley effects of like what sounds like or probably like twigs breaking or something you know that's obviously not a spinal or you know a what? oral <laughs> cavities being fucking uh, annihilated but mm-hmm. um it totally works and i i always kind of love when certain horror movies take something that's kind of like artificial in nature uh, but just juxtapose it with something that you see uh, on screen because they know that that's just creepy. It's it's disconcerting. And also, at the end of the day, most horror is fantasy in, in a sense. So it's like you really can't argue with, <laughs> like, oh, that's not the sound, uh, you know, yeah, no, uh, a would make when he transforms. Like, mm-hmm. no, no. Yeah, it's it's... It is what uh, whatever the film director thinks it should be yeah. at this point. It's not like it's like a you know clown horn. <laughs> that would have been something. That would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd want to mm-hmm. talk about is just I feel like a lot of the comedy in this film is actually pretty good. Yeah. A lot of it flows under the radar, especially after the first 10 or 15 minutes or so. But I think a lot of the there's a lot of really just funny, awkward moments throughout this film that uh, I don't want to say I didn't pick up on on the first time because I'm sure I left just as much as I did when I saw it in the first time. But just a lot of the characters and their actions and uh, the way that like, they... How about that Frank Oz cameo? Yeah. I wouldn't have even thought that was him if I didn't recognize his voice. Well, I, I didn't know it was him until you said it, and then I thought that's why his voice is like creeping me out. So, yeah. Although it is interesting that you have that, and then during the oh, uh, yeah. murder scene, uh, the murder dream sequence, you have the Muppets on in the background, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of fucked up. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of funny, under-the-radar type things that are happening throughout the entirety of this film. And I really like it, actually, a lot. And even though I probably could have dealt with a little bit more of it, um, there's nothing that's really, like, banning over the head where it needs to be, like you mentioned before, like, Scream or Scary Movie or something like that, where, like, the entirety of the movie is meant for you to be laughing where here you're just laughing at the absurdity of these characters as they are put into this extraordinary circumstance and really you have no chance to even get to know them as the initial werewolf incident happens like 10 minutes into the running time. Yeah. Well, and also I think a good uh, indication of how the comedy is supposed to play in this movie is by basically looking at the soundtrack, which is that there aren't really punchlines in this movie. It's just that everything is handled with care and with a wink that there's something comical about, uh, 
the kind of acceleration of this plot uh, at the behest, obviously, of the main character. But you have, like, a soundtrack like that where every song has the word moon in it. And, mm. you know, like, the songs fit, actually, when they drop and whatnot, especially because they don't really overplay it. I think there's only, like, four songs in the body of the film, I think. Um but then it's uh, it's played pretty well because then you have moments like the uh, CCR Bad Moon Rising uh, sequence where that song in a werewolf movie like if you haven't seen this movie you could see that being like a very like the apex of the movie like he's finally free and now he's just you know running through but here is used to highlight and juxtapose with the mundanity of his kind of routine that he's trying to tap into while his girlfriend is now uh, going to work and he's a stranger in a strange land with nothing to do and also no appetite and um, and obviously him being able to really kind of un- or not be able to cope with the boredom that's kind of driving him mad. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I, I very much enjoyed that. Or obviously the uh, Van Morrison moon dance uh, <laughs> drop. It's, uh, it's just a great song. Mm. So, but yeah, no, I think the comedy throughout is very wonderfully done and mostly a credit to the actors who aren't trying to uh, derail the movie in a in an attempt to get laughs, but just trying to inject it with some sense of uh, comical, I don't know, uh, realistic, uh, chill kind of hangout vibe. I would, yeah, I would, I would say that it's definitely handled in a more restrained way. Uh, in this films, which to its credit, I mean, uh, this this feels like a film that definitely could have been made by a foreign filmmaker, yeah. to me. And um, uh, it's nothing good or bad necessarily about it, but it, it doesn't like a British f- guy. Sure, it doesn't feel like at every turn like a film that an American filmmaker would have made always right well i mean this american filmmaker was in london so you know it's it's uh they drive on the other side of the road over there so (laughs) very awesome perception there nicholas (laughs) fantastic so um going to ratings i was a fan of this film Uh, i was a fan of it when i saw for the first time a few years ago uh, and i still am a fan today I think this is a really nice comedic horror film that really is awesome for its time period that it came out for, and it stands up today. Uh, We talked somewhat at length about uh, the special effects throughout, but and as I've said before on this podcast many times, I am a big sucker for actual physical visual effects. Um, and if filmmakers of the current era would combine them with the computer-generated effects that we currently can do, I feel like you'd have a way better result. And um, you see the benefits of physical effects in this film, because there's no real CGI that's happening here. This is really before that became a thing. It's probably about a decade before that really started to gain momentum in Hollywood. Um, and you just see a really solid commitment uh, to actual physical characters and also to actual physical effects. Uh, add that in with the good comedy story that's going on here. And also, too, just an interesting story about this guy's journey through his cycle as a werewolf 
um, and all of the absurdity that happens in his mind and also to uh, also the interesting time period that's happening here. This is a very interesting time period just to see a film like this progress because like the idea that this guy, his friend has had his funeral already. He's in the hospital in London. His family knows about it and he's still sitting there alone in the hospital and no one's calling him. It's kind of weird and bizarre yeah. and fucked up, but also too seems entirely. Maybe that's why he dreamed about his family getting massacred. Ouch. Cause he was For like, them. you know what? Fuck them. Oof. Interesting. So yes, I thought this is still a very solid film and definitely uh, worthy of its moniker of being a horror classic. So three and a half out of five for me for An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I very much enjoyed this. I thought it was quite good. It's um, I, I feel like I'm oscillating between two different ratings, but I'm going to go with the lower one for right now with the definite desire to rewatch it uh, come... Uh, future October months and whatnot. So uh, for right now, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five as well. It, but it's definitely uh, a keeper. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really one of those, I think, unimpeachable horror films where like it's not so much that it's perfect, but it's just it does so much of what it needs to do right that it's just if someone's really got a bone to pick with this movie, I would just think that they kind of hate life and <laughs> they should probably go walk off a cliff okay. maybe go spend the night at the zoo with, yeah, with uh, the fellow wolves that one little monkey that oh that was just so that look on his face was something how about the scene in the balloon bushes boy? too oh my balloon boy oh boy I mean, obviously, that's played as he's supposed to be like a child predator. Uh, but at the same time, that whole just the whole sequence of that and just the uh, the the um, like I always felt like the main character there is like kind of laughing as he's doing that. But at the same time, it's a naked guy trying to steal balloons from a little kid. So it's it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Can you imagine if? Those balloons bopped. <laughs> also, too, that de- that definitely did have a. Um, then when the kid tells his mom, an American boy or American man stole my balloons. He was naked. Like that definitely felt like something you would have heard in Animal House. Like yeah. it was like. Oh. All that was missing was like her just kind of staring at the camera, going. <laughs> and for all those listening, I made a very funny face. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, we both gave really solid praise. Rock solid. I was going to say. Yeah. For an American werewolf in London. If anyone out there has a, uh opinion on the film, always feel free to uh, drop us a line. Sorry. <laughs> It's my last attempt at that. Oh, uh, Filmtankshow at gmail.com is where you can reach us and please ask us to stop trying to do accents of other cultures and uh, just be really stupid Americans. Stop talking in general. If that, we get enough of those emails, it'll be a very... we'll close the doors forever. Maybe we'll find... Oh, sorry. Hello? Is that... Is that? No, no. Uh, it's no. Just, just the wind. Just the wind. <laughs> That's how the wind uh, 
comes about in very short bursts. That's right. You said earlier it was a squirrel. So. Well, at least that's a being with some bona fide nuts. Um, <laughs> nuts? Nuts. Squirrel? Oh, well, no, we just want to know where we're going. Won't you buy a squirrel? Mm. I'm doing the just iconic is that from Kathy Bates. Yep. No, is That's it? not Kathy Bates, is it? No. No, sorry. Um, uh, it might be. I think it's a possibility. Oh, but yes, I am doing Rat Race. Ooh. I used to watch Rat Race all the time. So did I. Oh, man, I loved that movie when I was a kid. I'm guessing you don't still love it. You know, I caught it the other day. I didn't watch the whole thing. And it was like 50-50 of jokes that have not aged like well at all. <laughs> like just the worst jokes you could think of. And actually some decent comedy that's still present because you do have a lot of people in that movie and whatnot. But uh, Yeah, the one scene where uh, John Lovitz is at the Hitler thing, uh, doing the Hitler thing at the, was it like a, an American foreign wars Yeah, first veteran. they're at the, or yeah, it's like a... They're at some Nazi It's like an Auschwitz place. type remembrance. But then the cigarette lighter burns his uh, upper lip. Yes. And he can't talk because it also burned his mouth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then he raises his arm as he speaks in a very German-sounding uh, mush mouth. Someone shoots at him. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, you know, they're still in that war. Oof. Oh, boy. He also drugs his family. <laughs> That's actually one of the least like troubling things in that entire movie. But yeah. yes, there's there's a lot going on there. Uh, boy, they just they just keep making fun of people who have disabilities too. Oh, because... they make fun of every single marginalized community you can think of. Like the opening, or one of the opening jokes is Cuba uh, Gooding Jr. at the bar. And he says, Miss, uh, and then the bartender turns around, and it's clearly a woman with short hair. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were a woman. And then, like, in a slightly manly but feminine voice, whatever that even means, uh, he says, I am a woman. And then he has this, like, fucking family guy deer-in-the-headlights look of, like, oh, like, oh shit. Anyway. There's a lot that's not good about that movie. Yeah, the uh, this is good. We're, we're rambling on shit. Rowan Atkinson is pretty great. He is pretty great, although it, it is yes, it's just kind of except for the me. part when he molests that baby. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Eat the key. Swallow the key. I remember a lot from that movie. Yeah, it, it shows. <laughs> oh man! Oh, speaking of molesting babies, oh, um, no, oh. no, Todd Phillips. Oh, really quick before we get to Todd <laughs> Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything Black involved. Black Phillip and Todd Phillips. Just cinema's two greatest villains. <laughs> He's a villain. That's great. Everything involving Cuba Gooding Jr. and the bus full of I Love That's Lucy's. actually pretty great. It is, but it's just so, so ridiculous. And oh, yeah. Get to the end and Smash Mouth is there and. Hell yeah, that's the greatest <laughs> twist in movie history. 
Honestly, you know what I remember most about the movie is more than the movie itself. Is John the... Cleese shooting a gun at the beginning to try to get them to run. Oh, faster. yeah, there's that. But also the uh, the outtakes, because I remember the scene, and I used to like fucking like have tears in my eyes because of how funny I thought it was. But the outtakes for the scene in which Seth Green and... Uh, what was that guy's name? Like Vince Balouf or something? Anyway, um, but because he has that tongue piercing and he's got that horrible accent in the movie... The scene between them when Seth Green has to convince him, his brother, to put the money in the bag, and the way he's like, or no, no, it's the other way around. He's yeah. convincing Seth Green, but the way he's like, uh, the way, oh God, the way he's like, come on, do we put the money in the bag? Mom's looking down at us. You little angels. <laughs> I watched those outtakes like 24-7 when I had that DVD. Long live the golden era of DVDs. Mm. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you were mentioning Todd Phillips. Yeah. Um, well, baby mol- molestation. So did you see that uh, article that's been circulating in which it's actually from a little while ago, but it's being dug up because he's, of course, in the news or whatever. But mm-hmm. he gave like, and it's funny because it doesn't really matter that it's from a little while ago because he's doing nothing but offering up <laughs> words and vomiting out every little thought in this interview so i don't remember if it was a reddit ama but it was a slightly more casual uh, piece but he is basically telling the story and he thinks it makes him look funny i guess or i don't know but about on this uh during the filming of one of the hangovers uh i think it had to be the first one because that's the only one with the baby right um yes. for the most part yes yeah so there's um, the baby is played by two babies because they were twins, obviously. You Usually, know? yeah. And mm-hmm. so, um, the mother and the father were apparently on set, of course. And the Todd Phillips really wanted that joke where Zach Galifianakis was like, "Hey, he's jerking off his little yep. wiener," and the mother did not want that joke in the movie and did not want. Obviously, it's fake. He's not actually, but didn't want that to be portrayed in any way or whatever. And the mother went out for lunch, and Todd Phillips basically said, like, to the father, like, oh, let's just do this. And he's like, oh, no, my wife will kill me. And he's and Todd Phillips was like, no, no, she just doesn't know what's funny. And, like, we should just do this because you're still here or whatever. And so they did it anyway. And, like, I'm like, so – and that was, like – him giving this information up as like a funny anecdote. So this is the same person though that thinks that comedy culture is dead and it's uh, the PC world that's out to get him. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. There's um. Ooh. We'll uh. <laughs> we'll get to Todd. Oh, uh, we will. Uh, as we are going to be talking about uh, his Joker film coming up on our next episode. Uh, it's going to be a couple weeks down the road, as uh, as I mentioned, Toussaint is out of town, and uh, you've got something going on next week. I do have my best man at a wedding. Wonderful. Because I'm the best man. man. Yeah. Yep. Um, but Toussaint will be back for that episode, and also our friend Anna Bodozadu will be back to join Yay. us to talk a little bit about uh, the DC supervillain that uh, has been done many times and a lot of times has been done very well. And here, um, there's a lot of opinions on the Joker film. Sure are. And uh, we will talk about them and yeah. talk about our own opinions on the episode. Absolutely. And 
I think it's going to be a pretty good episode. So we will see. Um, at the very least, because I think all four of us have seen the film already, mm-hmm. and we're just kind of waiting for the time, the right time to talk about it, and we can get together and it works out for everyone's schedule. At the very least, I think there will be plenty to talk about on the episode. Oh, for sure. Whether or not you like the film or don't like certain parts of it, or, I mean, uh, you can like or dislike it, but there's plenty in that film to at least have an opinion on. So, um, whether it's good or bad, or whether Todd Phillips is good or bad, or whether he's fucking done in Hollywood because he's made a complete... Oh, I don't think so. No, but he's 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 really had a r- money talks. Yeah. He's had a rough I mean, the the whole uh, all the events surrounding this film like is feels eerily similar to everything that happened and actually the film reminds me a little bit also too of Darren Aronofsky when Mother came out. Like it just the whole thing is just Obviously, the content is different. And but Mother was easier to ignore. Yeah. I mean, like, I watched it, but as far as, like, uh, you know, Joker is an IP, you know, an intellectual property that mm-hmm. everyone knows. So it's like even people who won't go see it will have an opinion on it and on sure. its existence. And that's what's going to only amplify the online discourse uh, exponentially. Well, and we'll talk about it when we, when we do the episode, obviously, but also, too... Um, the way that a the film portrays the media, and also too, uh, the way that the filmmakers and the star actor uh, acted towards the media uh, when the film was about to be released, um, I think will be remembered as somewhat. I don't want to say fascinating, but it is uh, definitely noteworthy. The way that the I don't I don't know what the best term is for it, but it, but it is just a lot of things just colliding with each other at the same time, and it just looks like a big box of bullshit. Oh yeah, I mean, in in a lot of ways, this feels like more of an event than Avengers Endgame was. Just not so much in obviously the actual Literal experience sense. of yeah. watching it or anything like that, but. There are more people wanting to shout their opinion of Joker than I think there were for people wanting to bask in the communal viewing experience of the end of Phase 3 or whatever that was. Well, and the other thing is, too, is that there are um, the people who are both claim to be super fans of DC and the people who claim to be super haters of DC uh, when any property that has differing opinions come out like that shit gets ratcheted up way high i mean just remembering the ridiculousness of batman versus superman uh and the differing opinions that were happening during that and the idea of people not understanding why people thought that movie was shit uh is it was was incredible at the time um, and as time has gone on, for the most part, the general opinion is that movie's not very good. Um, but at the same time, uh, we've seen a somewhat similar thing here. But also, too, you've seen Todd Phillips and Walking Phoenix very much out in the public view. And uh, not really putting on their best 
career performances, I would say. No. Yeah. Not so, at all. Yeah. So much more to come on Joker coming up on our next episode. And um, definitely looking forward to uh, chatting about it with everybody and uh, seeing what everyone's final opinion on the film is. So that to look forward to coming up. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can find our episodes on FilmTankShow.com. Also, we are on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Spotify? And Sp- I'm still... No, I, it's been six episodes, I think. And a million I still other can't. places. Yep. So. so we're available. So always feel free to check us out or, um, you know, drop us a review on, on one of those places or a rating, whichever. Please. I mean, it's uh, always appreciated. Assign value. Yes. Well, so, thank you very much again from myself, Alex Diegman, and Nick Cheney. We will catch up with you next time here on Film Tank. Uh-huh.